Welcome to the DL. This is the show where we talk about everything in the truck and equipment repair industry. It's my job to help inform and educate you on ways to help your business. We talk with technicians, business owners, associations, industry experts, manufacturers, and even a few you wouldn't think traditionally apply to your business. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. This is the podcast show where we talk about everything to do in the heavy truck and the equipment world in regards to repair, entrepreneurism, business, parts. I love this world. And today we got a really special treat because it's not too often I get another CEO on with me. And I happen to have one of those here today. So we're going to learn a lot about Divinix. So with all that said, Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Really great to be here. You know, I just like to jump right into it. A lot of people in our industry may not know who Divinix is. So can you kind of give us an overview of of, of who is Divinix and and what do you guys do? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're a new company. So we're just, you know, we've been, we've been, putting the product together over the last three years or so. And in the last 12 to 18 months is when we've really kind of come out into the marketplace. So what do we do? We're a learning and workforce management system. And what I mean by that is we help our company, our, our customers, our, the companies that use our software, we help them standardize, automate, and centralize all of their training and operational activities. And the end goal of this is to drive operational efficiency and the ultimate uh, reward for our customers is that they increase their profitability. Yeah, so I think I actually first bumped into Divinix at a trade show when we had trade shows pre-COVID. I think it was Gretchen maybe I bumped into at TMC. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, last time I was to Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Were you there? For, was it Con Expo? Was that the last time yep. you were there? Yep. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, yeah, that was a whole weird thing, right? Like, some of the big vendors weren't there and all of a sudden they're like, we're shutting it down a day early and the world was ending at that point. Yep, everyone go home. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Um, so Divinix, not being too old, like how, how did you guys get started? Like where did where did this come from? I think it's always interesting to tell kind of the, what's the origin story and not only the story, but like but like why? Yeah, yeah, so so this one actually goes way back. So my first job, and it's, it's part of why I'm like so excited to be talking to you folks at diesel laptops and stuff. Believe it or not, my first job out of school, uh, graduating from The Ohio State University, you know, was uh, working for the Ford Motor Company in their F250, 350, 450 heavy duty commercial vehicle line. Uh, I was in the engine product strategy and development area. And so we had, we did work both on product development, but also the manufacturing and all of that stuff. And so I got to spend an enormous amount of time in engine assembly plants and, and truck assembly plants all over the country. And it was really amazing to me the amount of how Ford, we worked really, really hard to standardize and wherever we could, and mind you, this was you know a couple decades ago, uh, automate all of, the, all of the tasks, the training and everything else on the assembly line. Because if you don't do that to drive that operational efficiency, efficiency, you can't produce 40 to 50 trucks per hour and have every single one of them start every time they come down the end of the assembly line, which is always an amazing, I always, I still today am amazed that you can produce 50 vehicles in an hour, literally one every minute, and every single one of them starts the very first time when they come off the end of that assembly line. It's just, I really, that that's really, inter- that's always been amazing to me. 
And then as I went on and I went to eBay and then I went to MaxPoint, MaxPoint, we were an advertising technology company and we had a, we had about 30 account managers that ran and helped customers do over $150 million worth of business with us annually. And so they had to be incredibly efficient and people would actually generate the revenue at about 10 to $12,000 a time. So you can see that that was a low price, relatively low price for advertising, but very high volume, high velocity type uh, process. And we had to develop lots of standardized process and automation. And so for all of our founders, this has kind of been, Divinix kind of represents our life's worth of learnings about how software can help and really change how companies can standardize, automate, and centralize all of their training and operating activities and procedures. And so, you know, this is kind of us taking 20 plus years of experience in trying to get the software to do it. So are you one of the founding members of, of Divinix and everything? Is it in yeah. a, a group of people? Yeah, or? No, it was myself and Kirk Carlson. Uh, we turned on the lights probably uh, uh, late 2018, uh, started working with a lot of experimental stuff, kind of experimenting, if you will, in the lab um, with a lot of our uh, AI and voice recognition software that we've developed. And shortly thereafter, brought on Gretchen Joyce joined us and the three of us were the same three that had Divinix, that had built MaxPoint previous to this a decade earlier. Uh, and so we kind of started the process of getting the band back together. And we've been steadily bringing back people that we work. I mean, like, like all kind of entrepreneurs or tech entrepreneurs is we have this kind of cohort of people that we've intersected with over the last so many, so many years of working. And it's always fun to get those teams and reformulate them on new problems and new areas. And so that's what Divinix is. And so we're really excited about everything that we're building. So we'll, we'll get into more some details on exactly how your product and how it relates to, to our industry. But when you guys first had this idea and first formed this, was it, was it to make a piece of software that works in heavy truck or medical or these certain fields? Or was it to make something kind of broad? Where did you guys start and did that change at all through the process? Yeah, we didn't really have a, we didn't have a specific industry where we said, okay, here's a specific industry and we're going to build our software to that spec to begin with. We started more with a kind of a, a classic engineering problem, which is how can you use the power of voice, artificial intelligence and mobility together to, can you wrap those three software concepts, if you will, and work, get them to work in an integrated system so that people can get the training and the instructions or do activities literally on demand in real time on the job. And the minute you get to the point of on the job, then you quickly realize that you got to make sure that you can't use your hands because majority of jobs, even whether you be working in a repairing an F-550 or you're sitting at a desk typing, your hands are not free. If you have to go and operate another software, you have to go and do something else. We wanted to get to that idea of, okay, we can use voice to liberate you from the, from, from the keyboard. And could you use AI to make it so that you can take areas like reports that you used to fill out on an iPad or reports that you would fill out on paper, can you use AI 
to bring those into a software environment and make them and convert them from a two-dimensional piece of paper to a, if you will, three-dimensional voice dynamic uh, event such that people can get the training or inspections or whatever it may be, and they can have that done using purely their voice to command and control the computer system. So what I'd like to do is walk through, if you could, an example of how your software could help someone in the truck repair process or a truck dealership or, or, or something in our industry to kind of give the Absolutely. audience uh, like this is this is exactly what we do in, in you know that particular situation. I know there's a lot your stuff can do, but I think that would help the audience. Right, right in that. So, so let's take a real world example. Like there's no better than not hypothetical. Let's take a, like, take a, take a real customer. You know, they are a, they call it an S&P 100 company. They have a fleet of service vehicles that spans the entire country. These vehicles range from F-150s to Econolines to Mercedes equipment vans, whole gamut. That group, they have a large group of people that are for safety and inspections and to make sure that preventative maintenance, so call it preventative maintenance and safety uh, operations. And so they, they use our software where they've uploaded all of their, what used to be, you know, paper manuals and paper procedures. And our AI has converted them for them into software, digitized them, if you will. And they use those every day, every week, every month across the country to perform inspections, to get information on what, what type of repair they should do and all this broad range. And all of that reporting is automatically created. So they have, they no longer have to do manual reporting. So they no longer have to fill out the worksheet next to the machine. If you're working, for example, and they do these both in the field and in centralized locations, they don't have to go to another computer to type in, I did this, I did that, that checks, that checks. They simply use their voice, walks them right straight. They walk right straight through it. In, in essence, they never put the tools down and they're able to complete those reports. That reporting is all automated. So they took their corporate reporting and it gets just filled in automatically and submitted up to the corporate folks. And for the corporate folks, the benefit is they now have a real-time standardized centralized reporting system. One system that allows them to put the training and procedural elements, information, content, whatever you want to call it, they can put that into the system to make sure that everyone's doing their inspections correctly and all the work's being done correctly. Then all the reporting comes right back into their corporate systems. And then from that, they also get the ability to do deep analytic deep dives to understand, hey, what's working right in my operations? What's not? What what repairs am I having to do the most often? Am I, am I, am I, are, are my brake jobs more common than say a uh, air cleaning, air cabin cleaning filter, filtration system change? All of that enables them, has enabled them to save literally thousands of man hours a year. Yeah, and even even smaller organizations have the same problem, right? So I worked at a truck yeah. dealership before and we have constant things you need to do, preventive maintenance on customers' trucks, annual DOT inspections. There's just certain things that have to happen, even a quick check. We did a complimentary quick check every time. 
and it was a real pain to have all this paperwork floating around all over the place and everyone kind of did a little bit differently. You had no good way to make sure it was all done accurately. And even when it was done, you would love to be able to analyze it and say, hey, why does Joe catch more tire issues than Frank when he's doing inspections? Obviously we have a training thing or we need to go find out why this is because there's, there's opportunities in your organization when you start looking at data. And Gretchen did this for us uh, a while back where we gave her one of our step-by-step -step guides for a fault code. And she's like, well, let our, let our system just kind of absorb that information. So we gave it to you guys. And it, it then it, it took a little bit of time and it came back and it was like, oh, great. Now here's like the step-by-step -step walkthrough of that guide in a digitized format. So it's very powerful, cool stuff. And I guess for everyone listening to this or if you're watching on YouTube, it's one of those things where you really got to go on their website, look at a, watch a demo that they have on there. Um, I think you guys even have some some different plans. I think there's even a free plan on there. People are kind yeah. of play with it and everything. Uh, but if you're doing any kind of procedural stuff, having data, having it standardized, you guys really do solve that problem at the end of the day. And it's it's not just those inspection reports. It's multi-industry. Can you talk about some of the industries you guys are serving? Yeah, I mean, we serve everything from <laughs> we serve everything from restaurants to how to open and close and restaurant clean a fryer to insurance industry about putting the proper coding to make sure that coding and training, helping to train new hires on how to better code medical and insurance forms to uh, safety, warehouse safety equipment, manufacturing. Basically the, the, the thing that the commonality is, is where you want your employees, where you need your, where you want your employees and your workforce, regardless of the size, to be able to do stuff in a standard, to help them standardize what they do, to automate all of, if you will, the back office stuff that keeps them from producing actual, I mean, because when that person's filling out those forms, they're not fixing a car, they're not making revenue, they're not earning dollars. And so to get automate all of your, if you will, the back office elements of your work that everyone despises, to centralize one system covers both training and reporting end to end and to have the ability to be if you will to do it in a any phase where you can type you can use a tap on a mobile phone you can uh use it on a laptop computer we actually don't care how you we've made it so that the input method you can go all the way from your voice to a to a mainframe computer if you wanted to you can any multi-mode we don't we made it so that the software is flexible and can do any of those things and you talked about like they talk about the difference between the big and the small companies here's the great thing about how we decided to build this software and we this has been very deliberate from the beginning is we we had a couple of principles one we wanted the software to be very affordable number two is we wanted it to be a pay a usage based pay scheme so you only pay for what you use and how we do that is our affordability is, is measured by the most expensive plan, the pro plan that has security and everything you could all ever want for an enterprise grade is $15 per user per month. That's it. No setup costs, no implementation fees. There's nothing. You will pay $15 per month per every user you put on it, all the way down to our free model that allows you to get a ton of great features and a ton of great work. And you don't have to pay anything because we want people to be able to because what we found is we have lots of people that start on the free and they give it a try and what they do is they grow into it 
they begin to use things like our catalog that we now have that has lots of templates that allow you to create your own stuff from scratch. So if you don't have standardized procedures, if you can simply fill in the blanks, we have pre-wired pre templates, no coding required, that you can literally get standardized. You can standardize your operations for the first time using our software. And everything we do, we try to make it so you could do it in five minutes or less. So I was fortunate enough to be able to see a live demo. We had our virtual truck repair expo last month and one of your salespeople were on there and walked the audience through a live demo. I was surprised how easy it was to actually add your own procedures essentially to it. Yeah. And there was some pre-built stuff in there as well. So very, very simple to use. And I, I think the important thing the audience do is, you know, at the end of the day, what device are people using when they're actually the end users? When they're actually interacting with these procedures. Is it mobile devices? Is it desktops? Is it tablets? How do they interact with your software? Yeah, I'd say the vast majority are using it with on on mobile and tablets. Tablets. Yeah. And the good news is it doesn't take specialized har hardware or anything like that. You can your employees just simply go to the App Store or to the Google Play Store, and they will can download the app for free. You, when you sign up for this service, you can invite them. It'll automatically log them in and do all that great stuff. And so as a, as a, cust as a customer and as a user of the software, you don't have any hardware costs to invest in it. You use what everybody has. You use the incredibly powerful computer that everyone carries around in their pocket. And that was kind of our vision in the software is that people, I think we're just starting. If you think about technology and where it's going in the future, we are so early in what's going to harnessing the power of the bandwidth and the computing power that sits inside that, uh, those phones that we all keep in our pockets. It, we're just at the start of that. And that's what at Divinix, we're really trying to harness that potential and put it to work to help businesses grow and prosper. Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head with that statement about the computing power in your pocket. We just launched what we call the diesel decoder. And essentially, it's a little dongle that fits into a commercial truck. And we're able to do diagnostics and dealer level commands off those things. And it's amazing how far you can get with a mobile device. And you compare that with our big laptops with big connectors and cables. And I think you're right. The world's shrinking. You're going to be able to do more and more with those devices as time gets on. So it's, it's really cool to be on this, this edge. And the, the other part I want to circle back to a little bit is I think there's a lot of people out there that have ideas and they involve tech and they have no idea to how go get it accomplished, right? So, and just, just to clarify for everybody, you're, you're not a software developer, you're a CEO, right? That was your previous right. thing before this. Right. So you, I'm a finance guy by training. <laughs> yeah. So my undergraduate degree was in accounting and finance. Yeah. And, you know, I've worked at Ford, I've worked at eBay, I've worked, I founded a company, MaxPoint, we took it, grew it to 150 million in revenue, took it public, and now I'm back trying to begin with uh, Divinix. So yeah, no, I, I have, you know, I, I love technology and I'm probably a extremely bad part-time coder, <laughs> but I am in nowhere would you ever put me in the, in the, in the realm of like a software hack guru. Yeah. So, so I guess the question for people listening to this that have have an idea or they want to get something done, they just don't have that tech background. Any advice you give them on, on where to get started or, or how to, uh, where, they, where they should turn to if they're, if they're in that situation? Yeah, you know, so I think the first thing is, is that there's always this interesting potential in that, and I think it starts really, you have to start this really 
not early, but you have to be very deliberate in that surround yourself, go find, go meet an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing is go meet an engineer. Um, and everybody knows them. Like you, they're, they're, they're your neighbors, they're the person down the street, they're the friend of a friend. And I think that's also a valuable lesson for entrepreneurship. And Tyler, I know you know this perfectly well, is that you have to be willing to come out of your comfort zone as an entrepreneur. You have to be willing to go out there and shake a hand and say, hi, I'm Joe, can I get a minute of your time and let's talk. And you don't know that person. And so you have to be willing to kind of put yourself out there but the key is, is to find that engineering person because there's a, usually there's a wonderful match. Engineers love problems. Yeah. And so the, the person I work with, his name is Kirk Carlson, he's a CTO. We've actually known each other since we were uh, undergrads at Ohio State. And in fact, Max Point, Divinix is now our fourth company we've done together. Uh, the first couple were complete failures. I mean, you, and you also have to become comfortable with the fact that, you know, failure is going to be your friend and your companion. Um, and so we, I mean, we started out, we paid for, we helped to pay for part of our educational expenses. And I'll just leave those in quotes, <laughs> educational expenses, uh, at Ohio State by selling software that helped uh, people move grades and student data from department to department. Yeah. And I would literally, we had just like, we had just, just did some simple software programming for them and they paid us for it. Uh, we both went our separate ways. He became head of software engineering. I went on to a bunch of different things, but I guess my, my the, the point of my story is that you're going to intersect people and keep them in mind go back to your history, be an observer of people around you and get to know people with skills. I think that's the number one, you wanna know how to become, you know, the one where, how do you solve your kind of technical skill problem is be an observer of people with skills and get to know people with skills. And then surround yourself around those with that. And, you know, the example of Gretchen Joyce, I mean, we met the first week, we were, we both started at eBay within a week of each other when eBay was like, less than a couple hundred people. And you know her skills are incredible skills at understanding a customer and understanding customer needs and getting customers to open up. Like I've never met anyone in the world that has the ability to just, people just spill their life story when they talk with her, yeah. which is incredibly valuable is you, that customer feedback just becomes incredibly important. So, and there's lots of meetups. There's lots of engineering meetups. There's lots of places. Just go get involved in those things. Get involved in your local tech clubs. Go get involved in local uh, areas. Talk to universities, uh, local universities that have comp computer science programs. Go there and just start meeting people. Yeah, I mean, so so many things you said there to comment on. Uh, you know, you mentioned like the failure is okay, and uh, it was funny. Just somebody was in my office the other day, and they're like, "Man, I, you know, I was talking to someone like Tyler's got the Midas touch. Everything they turn does or turns out well." And I'm like, you know, that's because they don't see the 20 things that failed that that, that never exactly. made it off the floor. <laughs> like, that that's why it's not it's not everything. It's a small percentage, and and that nope. and that's that's okay. And I think that's entrepreneurism and businesses in general, right? Like, don't. Take risks, but not ones that you can't afford to lose, um, obviously. And then the other one you mentioned as well is, you know, you got to be, you can't be afraid to go shake hands and just introduce yourself. And I can tell you, people won't believe this when I tell them, but I'm an introvert. Like outside of work, 
I, 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 I hang out with my family and that's about it. Like I don't I don't go out and say hi to everybody and just bum around and, and meet and greet strangers. Um, I'm more of a stay at home quiet, but when I go to like a business meeting or expo, I mean, that's, that's business, that's game time. That's the point you're there is to go shake hands and meet people and introduce yourself. And you are right. It is super uncomfortable the first couple times you do it, but you get used to it, used to it very, very quick. Um, you know, just, I guess kind of talking CEO to CEO here. I mean, the, the labor numbers came out yesterday, 9.3 million people are uh, open job positions in the U S as of, as of yesterday, highest all time. I know we're trying to hire a bunch of people here at Diesel. Are you guys seeing anything that on your side at all, or how? What What are you guys seeing? Yeah. So you know, it's kind of funny. I, it is definitely. I'll start with this. It is definitely a challenging labor market. But having a technology a company that's dominated by engineers and developers and technology specialists, it's been hard to hire people for twenty years in these areas. So. Um, uh, so we feel it. It's probably not as acute because in in the pure software world, because it's just always been hard. Yeah. But what I do think has happened is that I think it's hard. And I also think, you know, if you think about the pandemic, you think about the implications of all of this stuff that's happened over the last 12 to 18 months or 12 months plus, I guess, is that it has taken digital transformation and put it on an express freight train and probably moved it forward six to eight years. Mm -hmm. And so the skills that people need and the skills that people have, we're gonna have to get that, that's gonna have to get counterbalanced in. And yeah, it means that there are more people, more different types of organizations looking for software engineers, looking for people who know how to do account management, people who know how to, who are comfortable uh, working on computer, working on tasks that are mainly driven on computers and such like that, there are more demand for those folks than there's ever been. And so, yeah, no, but I, 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 I absolutely agree. It has been, it is an incredibly challenging uh, environment to hire people so, in. So let me ask you a question. When you guys are hiring a software developer, how often do you ask or care where they went to college and um, for, for software development? So, I'd say that's down the line. I mean, you know, it, it depends on the age. If you're talking about someone who's one or two years out and I don't have a lot of work experience to work with them, which by the way, we found actually little secret, I shouldn't let up, but little secret in the market is hire, go look for college grads. Yeah. So everyone's do. trying to get, everyone's trying to get experienced folks that have like three, four, five years of experience. There are so many people walking out of school right now that have awesome experiences. And so, when I talk about colleges, we're less interested in the name of the college, and we're more interested in when the when the when the when, the, when we're interviewing them, for them to talk about what they did there, what yeah. were the classes, what were the challenges, what was that, you know, whether you're sitting at Stanford or you're sitting at the University of Texas or Ohio State or Clemson, it doesn't matter. You can sit in a class. And if you don't get something out of it, and if you don't have acquired those skills deeply, not just passed the course or gone through the test, but really work to understand what you've, what you have, it doesn't matter the school in the end. I, I think I think it's very low on our priority list. What what we really look for is, do you have, first and foremost is do you have the passion? Yeah. Did you have that spark where, you, like you know what? I may not know the answer to a problem, but you just know that person sitting across from you, you know that she or he 
they're gonna like they'll work until they pass out to <laughs> solve that problem it's it's personal for them and we love that yeah and then beside that and then you take if you put that with some technical skills and most importantly the ability the willingness to learn a ton holy cow like then somewhere down the list there's the oh and you went to university xyz yeah, it, it's we're seeing similar things here, and we're we're literally doing the same stuff. And we're at the point now we don't even, I mean, we're not in the hotbed of of software development, right? We're in Columbia, South Carolina. We're not New York City. We're not out in California, right? So, it's it's more of like show us your GitHub and what can you do, and here's a coding test, and let's have a conversation to drill out where that passion is yeah. and, and all those things. And same thing, we're just like your career college. That's fine with us, especially on our vehicle engineering side, because. No one goes to school to learn how to do CAN bus technology anyway, so it's all it's all stuff we have to teach them. Um, you know, I guess you know I don't get a chance to to talk to a lot of CEOs, and especially we have a very similar model with diesel repair. So diesel repair is this freemium SaaS platform where for free you can go on there, look up a little repair information. You want all the good stuff, you got to pay. So it sounds very similar to your model that you have going on. Any you know we just just last month was our first month trying to monetize this thing. Any, any advice you'd give to us saying, hey, we're, we're new to this. We're a bunch of truck guys figuring out how to be a software company, right? So yeah. I'll take any advice I can get. How do, I, how do we scale this thing up? Yeah, so what we do is we've made it, and that's, by the way, that is the challenge that everybody faces. Uh, that's like the universal, and unfortunately, there is no silver bullet answer. There's no like, hey, and if you follow this recipe, it's going to come out right every time. Um, I can say the attributes that I've learned having been at eBay, which had similar characteristics and, uh, and here at Divinix is you, what it does is this idea of giving stuff for free and then wanting to monetize. It means you have to get super close to the cut to your user base and you have to really understand your user base, both from an analytical standpoint of everything they do and all that kind of stuff, but also really go out. We talk to every customer. So when someone signs up, I guarantee you, you're gonna get a call in, in, in less than, hopefully less than an hour after you sign up, you'll get a call from us and we continually work with folks. We have what we call our solutions architects and their only job, they're not compensated on revenue. So we found the key to monetization is not to compensate people on monetization, <laughs> uh, is to actually compensate them on the success of the customer. Their only job is to make it work. And whatever that means for the platform, it means. Whatever yeah. features and functionalities, regardless of what plan they fall in, get them in so they're the happiest, best growing customers. And we have countless examples where people start with three or four, and now they're doing 80 different people using it. Um, and so that, I think the key is to just get really close. I mean, you gotta almost grab your customer by the belt buckle and get really uptight close to them so that you can really understand what's working and what's not. And then that allows you, and people are always willing to pay for stuff that works. That's the other little thing I think that people don't realize is that, you know, people never tell you they wanna pay for it, but they will pay for what's actually working for them. And so as you discover what, what really works in your offering, that's how you unlock monetization and you, you build more features that help them help that working engine work uh, become even more vibrant. Well, let me ask you one last question here. You know, if you have to look back now, you said you're about three years into this, it sounded like. If you could rewind the clock or go back in time at all, would you, would you do anything differently? Or, or is this kind of like, hey, you've been there, you've done this a couple of companies, you know that you, knew the, you know the formula or what needs to get done. 
How would you answer that question? So the only thing I've discovered is that there is no formula. <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, I, I think the key to entrepreneurship, like, the, the, is that I, I think, I think most entrepreneurs I know is they're very much, they want to learn from what doesn't work. And we learn very aggressively and we embrace our mistakes or failures. Like we, we wrap ourselves in them. We, we celebrate them actually. Um, but the interesting thing is that we're not very reflective people. Like I, you know, it kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the program Ted Lasso, which is a really cute so, show about a, you know, a guy who coaches football, goes on to coach a soccer team in, uh, in the UK. And yeah, he, he has this thing with the players is, um, you know, have the memory of a goldfish, which is about 10 seconds. <laughs> and I think that is something important is that like, we don't, we don't look back that much. To be honest with you, we try and learn everything we can from what doesn't work. And we love that because we learn and then try and make it work in the next rev. And if it doesn't work, we'd learn again. But I don't, I'm, I'm not, we're just, unfortunately, we're not very introspective guys. I think that's probably the difference between a CEO of like Ford Motor Company, where you have this big, long, you know, Ford will be there for, it's been there for a hundred years. It'll probably be there for another so many hundred years. And so you have this, you, there is this reflective kind of chance. I don't know. What, what has your experience been on that? If I were to you, flip you, the question back on you. Oh man, you know, it's, it's the same way. I've had so many mistakes I've made and I don't really dwell on them too long. Like you said, I remember one time we literally got somehow someone hacked one of our systems and got like a $40,000 deposit diverted, you know, from our bank account somewhere else. This is when we weren't big. And I don't remember being that mad about it. I just remember being like, well, we should have had two factor authentication set up and we should have been monitoring this and now we do. And now we move on. I mean, I, I you know, and, and at the end of the day, I, people have asked me like, man, that sucks. I'm like, you know, if I would have focused on all those procedural things and all these other things, I never would have grew the company in the way I did. I, I couldn't, I couldn't do everything all at once. I, I made my decision. I'm going to, I'm going to take the good with it, and the bad with it. And unfortunately there was some bad, I mean, there was a hell of a lot of good that came out of it as well. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really the same way. It's, and it, it's like you said too. And the point I, I try to tell people all the time is you don't have to have a product to make it absolutely perfect before you start showing and talking about it with people. I see that happen too many times. You got to get it out there and get some feedback and learn which way you got to zig and zag. And, um, you know, unfortunately we've had products that diesel repair I mentioned earlier. I mean, that's like our fourth time around trying to figure out how to present that to customers. And it, it took a lot of, a lot of conversations, a lot of, like you said, getting, getting close, grab by the belt buckle, have that conversation with them and, and figure out what works and what doesn't. And I, I think that's what people don't see that goes happen inside businesses. They just kind of see the end product at the end of the day. And there's just a lot of everything else that goes, that goes on in the background, trying to build up a company and scale it and all the challenges that come along with that. Yeah. We, we, we keep the, if you will, we keep the, the sausage making behind the doors <laughs> in the back of the, uh, in the back of the, uh, in the back of the, in the back rooms. I mean, it's, it's, you know, but that's what make, and that's also what I love about it, right? That's that's why we we kind of do what we do is because it's really fun. And what's really cool is when you have young employees that for the first time they go through and they do things and they didn't ever even imagine. You know, they join you and six months later, they're doing things that they're like, I never thought I'd get it. I thought it'd be a decade before I got a chance to do that. And you're like, so, yeah. So and I it. I got it. I know I said this last question, but I got, I got one last question I got to ask. You worked at Ford. You you brought up Ford a second time there. Now we got electric. I mean, you worked in the engine engine division there. It sounded like yeah. 
and now we got electrification, right? I saw I saw the F-150 Lightning thing. I I, I kind of love it. I'm kind of a big fan, actually, the whole electrification, which is kind of weird, some diesel laptops. But but what's your thoughts, and, and and how do you see this whole electrification thing playing out? So I, I definitely think it's a you know you know from a pure so if I go from my so I'll answer it two ways you know yeah. from a pure engine perform performance perform kind of aficionado of performance nothing beats I mean electrics have vertical torque curves it, the power is instantaneous and it's just like nothing else um, so from that perspective I really really love the electrification. And I also think that it's going, I think battery technology has to come along. And I think not so much as in storage time, but as in recharging time. I think that's right now the limiting reagent in electrification is not battery storage as it is recharge time. Yeah. And I think that recharge time will be similar. My guess is it's gonna follow the similar that CPU hertz cycles followed for for computer chips in that you're just going to see this steadily, you know, this having of the recycling time, it's almost going to fall like a Moore's law. Yeah. And then it's going to get, it's going to come down dramatically at ever increasing rates over time. And within, you know, within a decade, that recharging cycling time is going to come down immensely. And I think that sort of like, because once you solve that, then it really unlocks electrification from being a, I have one electric vehicle and one gas vehicle, or having concerns about, you know, if you think about the commercial world, it would really suck to have a commercial delivery truck run out of juice three quarters of the way through the route. Yep. You, 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 you have to solve that. Once that gets solved, that recharging time, and that comes down to an acceptable level, I think that's going to be really going to unlock electrification. I, I think there's, I think once people, and if you make that happen, then the performance attributes, which everybody loves in cars, I don't, I find it hard to believe that when you step inside of a car, you don't, every person who test drives a car loves to take it out. That first time after yep. you buy the car, you take it out to the highway and you hit it. <laughs> yep. Like you just want to hit it because you want to feel that thing pull you back into your seat. And it doesn't matter whether you're driving a Ford Focus or a Mustang or an F-350, you wanna feel that power underneath you. That's one of the attractions of the automotive. It's, a, it's the visceral experience of a vehicle. I think from a consumer standpoint, you know, I think that electrification gives you that in ways that people are like, holy cow. I literally had a guy in the office today and he's telling me about his kids and they're they're big into engines and drag racing and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, cool. So what kind of car? He goes, well, I, I have a Tesla. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, my kids hate it, but I love it, you know? And I, I think the government, I mean, you know, if you look back at it, the government really forced the miles per gallon to get increased due to emission yep. requirements. They forced commercial trucks to get cleaner on their diesel engines. They're, they're going to push. It's already happening on both the state level and federal level for electrification of commercial trucks. So it's it, an automotive. Yeah. It's it's inevitable at this point. Um, but with all that said, Joe, I, it's been great conversation. I always love talking to another CEO, someone in our space as well. I learned a ton from you today. If people want to learn more about Divinix, where should they go? So it's real simple. You go to Divinix.com and just look around right there. And if you want to get started, just click the get started button and sign up and you can start it for free. Um, also, if you if you don't wanna do that, if you just wanna email us at getstarted at divinix.com, 
that works too. Well, and we'll, one of our one of our solutions folks will be in touch with you to help you get going. Well, we'll make sure to drop the links in the show notes on the YouTube channel, all that stuff. Hopefully, we can still drive some traffic there. And again, you know, if you're listening or you're watching this, I can tell you I've seen it in action. I've seen the demos. It is a great piece of software that they have going over there. I, I think you guys have tremendous success. I encourage everyone to look at it, no matter really what application or what their profession is. You guys really fit into well with it. So thank you very much for coming on the show, sir. Well, thank you very much. And that's that's high praise coming from 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 folks that from all the great stuff that you've built. So well, thanks. Much appreciated. And like we end every episode, remember it's not just diagnostics, it's diagnostics done right. And using software like Divinix definitely heads you down that path. So thank you everyone for watching and listening. Mm -hmm.